0: From AAC Studios, welcome to Scrappy, the podcast about small companies doing big things. I'm your host, Chris Stragas. Today we talk with Hani White, co-founder of Feed the Barrel, an organization in Philadelphia that collects used cooking oil to repurpose it into useful products like soap and biofuel and keeps it out of landfills and water treatment facilities where it can create big environmental problems.
1: How about we do this for our kids? How about we do this for our next generation? This is the great opportunity to bring our community together, to teach our kids about how they could contribute to American society. And in the same time, we're going to make their earth better.
0: One of the most communal activities shared by our human cultures around the world is the experience of food, spending time cooking and eating with friends and family. Honey White is taking this shared experience to another level by coordinating her community around one specific aspect of food, or rather a food preparation byproduct, used cooking oil. Feed the Barrel is a cooking oil recycling program that was started by Hani and some friends from her Indonesian neighborhood in South Philadelphia. They're not only helping people avoid costly plumbing disasters, but they're helping to protect the environment, creating new useful products from waste, and in the process, demonstrating how one small action can change a big city for the better. Feed the Barrel's roots formed at the crossroads of cultures from two different sides of the globe.
1: When I was a kid, I ate anything and everything. I remember my mom say that like, if there is an elephant in the room, you're going to eat those elephants, right? I am I, not a picky eater, I eat anything. But um, we ate a lot of vegetables. The thing is like, my grandma grow a lot of vegetables, and meat, fish tend to be more expensive So I remember that my mom usually purchased some meats, but not a lot. She cut it really small to share it with everyone. But there is always either meat or fish or chicken. But the main thing is vegetables. I could not quite remember when my mom never cooked. She cooked sometimes two times a day. And it's always like a family affair, right? uh she always took me to the market she always took me in the kitchen and another plus is my grandma she grow her own food so we have this full cycle right when my grandma that lives with us have a garden uh, in the side of the house that growing our own food and then my mom go to the uh, market to buy the meat or the chicken or the uh, fish, and we're just combining it. It's just so amazing that it's such a playground for us. Um, cooking has become like a daily part of our lives.
0: Growing up in Indonesia, Hani says that vegetables were a very common and very large portion of the meals. But how those vegetables were prepared depended largely on where in Indonesia you were.
1: Absolutely, lots of vegetable. Um, the reason is, like I say, it's a very tropical country. Anything that we put on the ground, it will grow, like without even we taking care of it. So uh, it's easy to have like multiple different type of uh, vegetable. But the method of cooking itself is really different. Indonesia have seventeen thousand island, so it's really depend where you live. If you live closer to the mountain, of course you eat a lot of vegetable and you steam it. But where I'm from is like, I'm in the capital city and we're not too close to the mountain and we're not too close to the ocean. So we ate basically everything and the method of cooking, a lot of steaming, a lot of frying and a lot of deep fried also. Somehow, anything that we could think of like uh, there is always component of frying. Either it's for breakfast, lunch or dinner, like you always have your steamed rice. On the side, it might be like fried chicken or fried egg or fried beef with the vegetable, the soup. It's always like even the rice. If let's say the, the rice from the previous day, we're not finishing up, the next day, We fried it, become a fried rice, and that's become our breakfast. And it's always like frying with cooking oil. Another reason why cooking, we cook with a lot of oil, because it's easily available. We have a lot of uh, palm oil uh, production in Indonesia, and we do have a lot of um, um, coconut oil also. So it's really depend on what kind of food like a we we could have like multiple different type of oil that we could use and it's easily available and it's very affordable and back then back home in Indonesia because it's tropical country we always never really think on like how to trash it and there is no sophisticated uh, trash system in Indonesia we always have like in the backyard we have like a big hole and we just dump our trash there. And then either we it's become a compost or we burned it. And uh, it's just as simple as that. And we never think of it, right? So my mom always like, oh, the oil is too dirty. She just trash it on the ground. And we don't, never, we, we don't ever know that it could pollute the ground. It's not part of our knowledge, I guess. And of course, as soon as you don't see it in your house, you don't think it's your problem. It goes to the water stream and it's like, it's not, no, no longer our problem. It's become like part of, the, part of the soil, part of the land, part of the whatever. But we, we never have that kind of education that is not good if you trash the oil just like that.
0: In 1998, Hani immigrated to the United States with her family. But really, her journey to America had started many years earlier, when her father planted a seed in her head as a young child.
1: Since I was small little kids, my father, he is, he adored United States as a country a lot. And uh, as a five years old kids, I remember he showed me like a beautiful book about United States. And uh, he told me, someday you're going to be at this country. And he's showing me a picture of New York City. He's showing me a picture of uh, Grand Canyon and multiple different parks, national parks in the United States. And I think my subconscious mind started working there.
0: When she finally took the journey in the late 90s, Hani settled in South Philadelphia in a community of other Indonesian immigrants.
1: We are a smaller, very small community in South Philadelphia. Uh, the Indonesian community uh, really just start moving into Philadelphia after 1998. So we growing community, and we start having uh, uh, like we start organizing ourselves. We say, like, we want to be a successful immigrant community. We look at a different model with the Korean community, the Chinese community, the Vietnamese community. We start looking at those communities. It's like, oh, my God, they are so advanced. They already have their own mall. They already have their own economic power, right? We want to do something that make a difference.
0: Hani, like the rest of her community, brought a love of her native foods with her to the States. They also brought the same methods of cooking, using various vegetable oils as a mainstay of the process. What Hani and her neighbors didn't realize at the time was just how different oil acts when it runs through cold pipes here in the Northeast US.
1: When we came to the United States, we was thinking that like trashing the oil down the drain is not a big problem. That mentality, because back home, like I say, it's 90 degree and we don't basically computed here that it's a different, totally different climate, right? So we cook the same way, right, the way our mom cooked. And when I moved to South Philadelphia, uh, we knew that the infrastructure is really, really old, but we never really think it further than that, just like, oh, it's an older pipe, it's an older type of home, and we just trash the oil the way our mom trash it back home we pour it down the drain right or sometimes we just put it in a container and now we put it with our trash there is no other we do not know other way how to do it like what is the better way so then we start realizing that some people in different blocks have a clogged pipe and, you know, as mothers, we talk about our house, we talk about our kids, right? And one day, my fr- two of my friends have a conversation at the schoolyard. And we mentioned about like, yeah, my pipe is clogged, and uh, something happening, you know? And we have no clue what it is. And the other mother actually have their basement flooded. And what's really funny is, she worked for EPA. And she was like, wow, it's not only my community problem. Someone that worked for EPA have the same problem. And we start having that conversation that like, hey, I think I know the mother that worked for EPA. She started saying that, like, I think I know what's going on. And we're like, what's going on, right? I was like, did you? put the oil down the drain and put the bacon grease, or like after Thanksgiving, the turkey grease down the drain. And we like look at each other, we like, uh, you read our mind, you read our, you know. And she was like, oh my God, it's actually, I was realizing that's not only us problem as an immigrant, because the reason that uh, uh, she bring it up like I said, she have a flooded basement. And uh, in South Philly, if we have flooded basement, we never think it's because of the clog pipe, because of the oil, right? Imagine that you're losing the entire basement, right? Your stuff is down there, you need to pay rotor router. That could be hundreds, hundreds of dollars. And we not like economically, we're not like a middle upper income. We are a middle lower income. So, like four or five, $600, that's, uh, it's a, like sometimes it's like half of your rent. And um, it's happening from house to house. And we start say, seeing this as a, as a community problem.
0: The more Hani talked to her friends about the plumbing, the more they began to realize it was a much bigger and wider spread problem. And solving this one issue, safely and conveniently disposing of used cooking oil, could help bring their community together and create change, not only for themselves, but future generations. It could be one step to help build that more advanced community that they dreamed of.
1: We want to have a better voice. And uh, we, we start talking to different mom and dad, and we start seeing this as a like possible project that we could carry on and bring our community together right tackling it together and plus we have the incentive of this EPA mother that have like the same problem with us and this EPA mothers like we we start having further conversation and she's like maybe EPA could help us and we start seeing this as an opportunity that like if we collabor- collaborate with good institution legit institution, this is going to make our community better and stronger. And, of course, it's solving the problem, too. We could use this as a momentum, as a movement that can bring the community together, learning about the environmental, and work with government, federal institution.
0: As Hani and the other mothers discuss possible options, they realized that their solution could not just center on a way of disposing of the cooking oil. The best way forward was not only to get rid of it, but to recycle it, which would have a positive environmental impact as well.
1: Originally, we like, oh, the only thing that we know is trashing the oil down the drain or trashing the oil with the uh, trash every week, right? And, then EPA say that like, hey, do you know that trashing the oil with your trash is actually going to end up in landfill? And when it's end up in landfill, it's going to create this methane gas that actually going to pollute the landfill also. And we look at each other, we're like, we do not know that. So there is no other way. We're trashing down the drain. It's cost us money. We have this basement flooded, right? But if we trash it, with our trash. It's bad too because we pollute the landfill. So we look at each other and we're like, oh my god. And the EPA say like, how about if we develop something that we're collecting it? And that's when the one of the head of the Indonesian Desperate Network start thinking like, that's right, collecting it, collecting on where people have a meeting together because he's a pastor. He know that like, if we're collecting it, we need to have masses of people that collecting this oil and are going to bring the oil to somewhere other than their drain or their trash, right? And we start, we start thinking that like, that's right. Every Sunday we could collect the oil, right? And mothers could come to the church with their oil instead of just trashing down the drain. And the EPA say like, let's, we do research about it, how we could just collect it, and then maybe we could donate it to some, someone, right? Because there is a way to kind of like, recycle it or something. And we're like, wow, there's a recycling of dirty cooking oil we do not know. And then the next meeting, the EPA coming out with like ideas that like, do you know there is company in Philadelphia that actually willing to get your oil and help you to recycle. And we're like, no, we do not know. And we start doing the research together. We found a company that owned by another immigrant. And we're like, this is so perfect. We are immigrant here, and there is a company that actually doing oil recycling, and he also immigrant. He's from Italy and he get the idea on recycling oil because in Europe, they've been doing this for years. In Barcelona, in uh, Italy, they have this concept for years, in Germany, in UK, and they just like, it, it's so new in United States.
0: The Italian is Domenico Fanociaro, who collects oil for Eating Green Energy, a vegetable oil recycling plant Domenico's organization already had an infrastructure to process the used oil. It was simply a matter of creating a new collection structure for Hani's neighborhood.
1: And he said like, you know what, we could provide you with the barrel. We're like, what barrel? And he started showing us a picture of the barrel. This is what we put in different restaurants. This is what we put in grocery store. And I was like, wow, we actually could have that in our churches? And he's like, sure. And we're like, but our church don't have money. It looks like it's expensive barrel. It's like, it's okay, we could provide you with free barrel, not the most expensive one, like we provide restaurant, but the basic one, at least you could hold the oil at the barrel. And every two months, every three months, whatever the barrel full, we could come and pick it up.
0: For the plan to take off, however, Hani would need more than the support of a few friends and an EPA rep. She needed to get buy-in from her entire community and have them agree to place a barrel for collecting oil right at their church.
1: We say, like, okay, I think we have the model. I think we know what to do, but we're not going to move anywhere if there is no participation, right? And, of course, the, the, uh, the pastor say, like, No problem, let's invite all the church. We just need to put like a community meetings and see what the community said. And uh, we have the first community meeting. We invite all the Indonesian churches. We have the partner, uh, which is the Italian uh, uh, guy, and the EPA. It's just beautiful. We show uh, the pastors and the community the barrel, we give the presentation, we say that like this is going to be a great thing, you don't need to spend money anymore to uh, like clean your cloth drain. And uh, and we get the buy-in. The, like at first, like the church is kind of like hesitate. They're like, do we really want to have barrel at our church? Like it might be smelling, our church might be going to smell like a fried chicken. But then I remember there was one guy, he's a, com- like a his community blogger. His name is Pat Bono, I remember that. He just like, everybody like look at each other, they're like, this is something great, but we do not really know whether we want to have the barrel in our church, right? And he just step up, he say like, friends, family, and pastors, let's think about this. How about we do this for our kids? How about we do this for our next generation? This is the great opportunity to bring our community together, to teach our kids about how they could contribute to American society. And in the same time, we're going to make their earth better. And this is our time to make a difference. He just step up like that. And everybody just like, that's right. We are newly immigrated, immigrated here. We wanna contribute to the society. We wanna contribute to our home, South Philly, and we wanna do this for our kids. And then we ask a question like, which church that willing to host the barrel? All hands up. we like, what? This is too good to be true. And uh, that night, Seven church sign up to host the barrel.
0: And from there, Feed the Barrel was officially off the ground. Honey estimates that since they started the program in 2014, they've collected over 3,000 gallons of cooking oil. That's 3,000 gallons of oil that's been saved from drains and landfills and repurposed into usable items.
1: He processed the oil to become biofuel, compost, and soap. And he show us like this is how we separate the oil from the food, the dirty food. And then after that, this is the clean oil. And we turn it. We put some chemical to it. We turn it to become biofuel. And we sell it to the farmers in Lancaster or whatever area so they could run their tractors, right? And the food that coming out from all this oil, they press it. They make it really dry. And there is a food scrap, right? And they turn it to become compost by putting red worms. And they show us like a cute little soaps. And we just stun. We just like, this is so cool that actually things that we trash have a second life. And what really hit me, because my mom, my grandma, they grow our own food. And my husband stopped growing our own food in our backyard. And we're like, now we can get a compost from you? And he's like, feel free to come anytime. We thought that we just tried to solve the problem so our drain not clogged, But then it's become this beautiful thing.
0: Even after getting their community to buy in, Hani and the rest of the Feed the Barrel group still encountered some challenges, mainly some pushback from their local government. Honey and her husband decided to place a barrel in their community garden, and at first, the idea wasn't so well-received by the city of Philadelphia.
1: One day, there is a letter from a city of Philadelphia LNI saying that, like, you need to remove the barrel or we're going to start fine you a couple hundred dollars every day because you have inflammable, dangerous barrel at your backyard. And we're like, oh... Okay, and uh, we like calling the Italian guy. It's like uh, I need to remove the barrel. They say this is inflammable. This is. They say this is dangerous. Uh, it's such a, a danger to the community. And I start thinking about the churches. Oh my God, my the churches could have the same problem, right? People could complain and think that this is dangerous. And uh, then he say like, oh you have that kind of problem, yeah, don't worry about it because this is actually uh, like a public knowledge that cooking oil is not inflammable. And uh, we have the secure barrel, it's not just like regular barrel, we have the top and we have the lock on the barrel. So unless somebody really wanna try to do something, it's not going to be dangerous to the community.
0: The whole experience ended up teaching Hani how important it was to educate not just her own Indonesian community, but the greater community around them. By showing people how they could make a difference with one simple act, Feed the Barrel was able to make a much bigger impact.
1: I realized that then I feel like, okay, uh, we need to have that conversation because we try to do good thing, but other people seeing it different differently. Right, because they try to make sure they're they're protecting the community, they're protecting their constituent, and the way we think it that like, hey, we're actually doing such a great thing for the environmental, for the environment. They see it as a danger to the community, so that's why we feel like the outreaches need to be better and bigger, and uh, uh, then uh, we 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 start. Uh, doing some reaching out like uh, like uh, we do not know who to reach out and EPA actually helping us a lot they say like how about reach out to the office of sustainability in uh under the mayor's office uh, and we have we make that connection and uh, we have another office uh, under uh, later, later, like a street department, we talk to them. So there is a, a, like a couple of different offices under municipality that well aware of our program now. So we feel like we, we need to do that to be able to grow because like the more we want to have more barrel in different community, the, the more communication we need to do with not only the community, but also the municipality. So what really cool, actually the Vietnamese community start reaching out to us. They say like, hey, we're actually doing a lot of cooking too. We're doing a lot of cooking with deep fried. So let's do this together. And also a lot of African American church actually reaching out to us. And they say, like, hey, you guys have such a great program, how we could tap into your program. So we linked them with the uh, Italian guy. Now that church have their own barrel, and uh, we possibly have a program also with their youth this summer.
0: Weaver's Way, a co-op grocery with a few locations in Philadelphia and Ambler, also reached out to the group. They now host barrels in their stores so that their customers and partners can recycle their oil. Hani has also been in contact with the Citizens Planning Institute, which aims to introduce Philadelphians to processes like city planning and zoning so they can help shape and preserve their neighborhoods. Her goal is to take Feed the Barrel from a standalone program run by mothers and community members to a full-fledged program that is ingrained in the day-to-day operations of the city.
1: So sort of the next step is more to kind of like have this program a home because for the past four years it's us mothers in South Philly, and um, now we start thinking and we are still communicating with EPA. We're like, what isn't it going to be really beautiful if we could make this as an institutional just like what they did in Barcelona and in Italy? We understand that to grow this thing to become bigger and better, we need to work and collaborate and have this program a stronger home instead of just us mothers.
0: Regardless of what's ahead for Feed the Barrel, Honey is immensely proud of what her cohort of mothers, pastors and community members have been able to do so far. With one simple change of habit, they're making their city a better place to live. All because of a group of people who weren't afraid to take a chance and find a new way to solve an old problem.
1: You know how kids want to learn how to swim, right? Like, you never know until you jump into the water, right? You, first you panic, first you do not know what to do, first you just try to have your head above the water. We're like, okay, we just try to get our people not trashing their oil so we don't need to spend the money. And then we start seeing like, this is a great thing. We could have the voice in the community. We could give back to our society, right? And then we're like, oh yeah, we could educate our kids. And then we start learning that like, oh, it's a much bigger thing. And the city is actually interested. And we're like, oh my God, this is much bigger than us. We just never knew this is going to be this big. We never knew that one day, we, the Office of Sustainability invite us to talk in the same stage with mayor. We never knew that GRID magazine put us in the cover of the magazine. I could imagine if no one raised their hand at that community meeting. They raise their hand, they step up, they plan their flag. They say, like, let's do this. And it, I feel like that's so American, right? <gasps> that's give me chill. It's crazy. Say so.
0: Thanks for listening to Scrappy. You can go to scrappypod.com to find transcripts and show notes, including links to the group's Facebook page, the Eden Green Energy website, and the Citizens Planning Group. We'll be back next week with our season finale, the story of how Henry Salinas helped transform the town of Chandler, Arizona, by giving kids an alternative to the drugs and gangs that were devastating their community. Henry passed away in 2017 after years of battling health issues but his legacy lives on at the program he started and in the thousands of lives he touched.